this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about the upcoming Lent season that we are about to celebrate together and put it all in context for you, explain it for you. Uh, now, there's been a struggle, certainly, uh, over the last hundred years or more, uh, in the Christian expression, a wrestling between Christian tradition versus Christian reality. Uh, many of us, including myself, were raised in churches that were very, very big on tradition and rituals, but not very big on the reality of God in our lives. Uh, many of you from the same type of backgrounds where we went and we were told if we did this and if we were baptized and we were confirmed and we said this and sprinkled that and that, you know, that that would all, that's, that's all that was really necessary and repeat the prayers and la, 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 like a bunch of robots, uh, only to realize that that's not really how you get to experience God in your life. But for a faith experience where you really connect with God and experience Jesus Christ in your life, asking him to forgive you of your sins, come in your life to be born again, Jesus said. Jesus said, if you are not born again, you don't have the spiritual renewal where you really experience God in your life, you'll never make it into the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means you can do all the rituals you want and still go straight to hell. It's not about rituals. God isn't impressed because you chanted one thing or another or showed up on a day or not to do different things. It's not about that. It's about the reality of knowing God in your life. Uh, but now, on the other hand, Christian reality does not invalidate Christian traditions and rituals. If anything, it should make it much more real. But that's the part of the struggle. See, a lot of people who've been raised in that world and remembered, you know, just the guilt and the frustration and not really knowing God, only to find out later what the Bible really says and all of a sudden to really experience God, we tend to look at that world in a pretty negative light. It's kind of like someone who's been in a bad relationship and been beaten up or something like that. You know, they look at other relationships pretty negatively. They're very nervous about getting into any other relationship. Why? Our relationship's bad? No. It's just that they had such a bad one that now they are, f they are fearful of entering into another relationship. So there, there's that struggle. So people, and I get it, and I totally understand it, and I don't really condemn it at all, understanding people who've been coming out of that world, they really find God, and then any kind of expression that seems to be even a hint of that world that they came from can make them rather uncomfortable. But I believe that if... Uh, we have some of these expressions. It's a good, positive thing for us. And we should be able to do it with great meaning. It's not about trying to become robots. You know, let us give thanks to the Lord, for it is right and just. I mean, seriously? Yeah, I'm not trying to slam anybody, but good grief. Can you imagine having dinner and you serve your family dinner and your husband says... Let us give thanks to the mom, for she has really cooked. You know, I mean, nobody wants that. I'm about being a robot. What the heck kind of expression is that? So we reject that kind of uh, expression at all. But the fact of knocking out all Christian traditions is quite the swing. And most evangelical churches, which is the category we're closest in, I don't think we really have a category for us, but... 
<laughs> which again is my fault, <laughs> and I understand that. But uh, you know, the closest category would be considered an evangelical church. Most evangelical churches swing way far because they just don't want to be anything close to this robot version of Christianity. But I think to our own hurt, I think some of these things are positive if we'll do them in the right way. When I first started as a lead pastor some 10 years ago, one of the first things I did is I started adding back some of these meaningful Christian traditions to our evangelical worship services. For example, weekly communion. Here at Celebration Church, we have communion every week. Uh, Why? Because the Bible talks about it in that light. Every time they gathered together, they took communion. The main, most evangelical churches like ours, they don't do communion every week. If you've ever been to them, you know they don't. Why do we do it? Uh, because we believe it's something that is very biblical. Why don't they do it? They mainly don't do it because the Catholics do. It really is. <laughs> it's just, you know, that's their logic. You know, I don't, I don't want to be Lutheran. I don't want to be, you know, Episcopalian, you know. So we don't do it just because they do it and we don't want to be like that. Because we're afraid of being robot. But that's ridiculous. Okay? You know, it's not to slam those other guys, but again, their big knock is they tend to be very mechanical about their expression of faith. A lot of us came out of those worlds. We don't want to go back to it. But that doesn't mean you throw out the baby with the bathwater. One of the things that we do uh, in our prayer time is we close out our prayer time by saying the Lord's Prayer together. It's something we recite together. Some people say, why do we say the Lord's Prayer? Because the Lord told us to pray it. That's it. You know, I mean, it's the Lord's Prayer. It's not like Mark made it up, you know. It's the Lord's Prayer. So we pray the Lord's Prayer together, and it's a good thing to do. It's not about being a robot. The Apostles' Creed, as we begin all our messages, all our campuses join us. The one thing we all do at the same time is make this profession of our faith. These are the basics of Christianity. We say this together, not to be robots, but to remind ourselves what this is about. We do it really for two reasons, the Apostles' Creed. Number one, to remind ourselves what is important to us as people of faith. Because these are the basics. Everything else is peripheral. You've got to get these down. And secondly, to drill it into the next generation that this is what we believe. Now, the dirty little secret among evangelicals is that we do a terrible job of putting faith, long-lasting faith, into our children. Recent studies have shown, and I was part of a focus group that was sponsored by Focus on the Family, where we discussed this. They're all freaking out, because all the studies show that 80%, if you can imagine, this is stunning, this should just, just horrifying. 80% of our young people coming through our wonderful evangelical churches, where we talk about the reality of Jesus and stuff, they say 80% of them give up on the basics of their Christian faith. By the second year in college. They no longer believe Jesus is really the son of God. Don't believe in the virgin birth. Don't really believe God created the heavens and the earth. Don't believe he was really raised from the dead. I mean, that's horrifying. And what's interesting is I noticed that you could go to people who came from the world that I just criticized, not in a harsh way, but that, you know, they're not so much into the reality of God as the, you know, doing all the rituals. But even them, even though they lack maybe the expression and the reality that we're talking about, most of them still believe God created the heaven and the earth. They believe Mary was a virgin. They believe Jesus was raised from the dead. Why? Because they drilled that all their lives. 
And that's when I thought, we're going to stop this. So we, this one of the reasons we do this is just to drill, just to remind ourselves and to drill into the next generation, these are the Christian fundamentals. This is what it means to be a Christian. You don't have this, you're, you're just making stuff up. So that's why we do that. About the only other ritualistic thing that we do, if you want to call it that, is uh, uh, the doxology that we sing at the end, where we sing that old hymn, Together, But the main reason we do that, uh, I went with that because the band was so stinking loud at the end of the service all the time. I couldn't hear myself think. You know, you're trying to pray with people and talk to people. You couldn't. I mean, it's cool, but it's loud. You're trying to pray with people. I'm trying to get hired. Your pants are on fire? I mean, you couldn't tell what they're saying. <laughs> and it's just insane. So we just sing the nice little hymn at the end and more calmly get out of here without the band so loud. God bless the band. We love the band, but... Just too stinking loud. Can't talk. So anyway, so some for good reason, having come out of church backgrounds that emphasize that stuff over really knowing God, get a little jiggity with some of those things, and and I get it. But uh, you know, it's not about trying to be that. I mean, I even had one person level the charge that you're just trying to turn us all into Catholics, like a Catholic church. Have you ever been to a Catholic church? (laughs) That's not to slam Catholics. But anyone who would remotely compare this to that (laughs) is on medication. (laughs) We're not like those guys in that sense, you know. Again, God bless them. You want that? Go for it. But so anyway. So we are trying to keep the reality, the excitement, the experience of faith, but by also incorporating things that I think are good, that have hundreds, centuries of Christian tradition that are based in good things. Anything can become bad, but these are done in good things. Now, two of the major events that all Christians acknowledge and celebrate, Christmas and Easter. Quite frankly, it's the one time where most people actually go to church. We call them creasters. That's when the creasters all come out, you know what I'm saying? We'll be packed out. We'll have to have three services on Easter morning to accommodate the people who suddenly decide, I think I'll go to church, you know, twice a year, whether they need it or not. All right. Now, um, Lent is something that we traditionally have not emphasized. And my brother Ed has been challenging me on this, and he said, man, guys, you ought to do this, because it's a good thing. And so I'm finally going, yeah, it really is a good thing. Now, what Lent is, it's the 40 days before Easter. If you take Easter and you back up 40 days, you'll get to this Wednesday night, which is known as Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of Lent, a time of preparation. Where does this come from? Now, originally it came from uh, early Christianity, where people who were getting ready to be baptized would go through 40 days of, uh, of just real intense prayer and really getting to know God and, and getting themselves ready to be baptized. Which, by the way, all Catholics, Luther, they, they all know that in the beginning it was adults who were baptized. They didn't baptize babies. That didn't come until hundreds of years later when somebody done, let's baptize babies, uh, which we don't do. Why? Because it's, it's always, the Bible, it was always done as adults. 
You know, people say, well, you know, we want them to be saved too. Well, that's a decision they have to make for themselves when they become adults. You know, if you think just because you've been sprinkled with water, you're going to go to heaven, you're delusional. And some of these people, I, I know people who treat that. You know, just as long as you're baptized and been confirmed, you're going to go to heaven. Well, it's ridiculous. That's, it's not about what happens to the outside of you. It happens what? on the inside of you. That's why we're talking about really knowing God in your life. Okay? Anyway, these adults who were getting ready to be baptized went through this 40-day period because it was a reflection of Jesus 40 days of period because he, before he started preaching, went into the desert and he fasted and prayed for 40 days. Yes. So that's where the 40 days comes from. Well, it turned out to be such a meaningful expression. I mean, these people, it was, it was a, a really powerful time in their lives. Again, we're talking early Christianity before people got all, everything got real crazy. Uh, that they thought, well, this is so cool. We should do this with everybody. So they decided to do this annually uh, at Easter time, where everybody would take this time of 40 days of just really reflecting on knowing God in their lives. 40 days, okay? So that's the Easter thing. Which, by the way, Easter used to always be done at right after Passover. For those of you who don't, don't know what Passover is, Jewish tradition, this is when... Um, God was bringing all these plagues on Egypt. Remember Moses, let my people go. And he, he warned Pharaoh, and Pharaoh wouldn't listen. So he says, there's going to be death that's going to come, and it's going to kill a lot of people. And what God told the Jewish people was, is if you'll take a lamb and sacrifice it and put the blood of the lamb on the doorsteps, the death angel would pass over you and not bring death into your home. So the Jewish people experienced no death, whereas the Egyptians experienced all kinds of death. This, is, that was, this was the final straw that finally caused Pharaoh to let the people go. That's where all that comes from. That's what the term of Passover means. Well, Jesus was essentially the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He becomes the final Lamb so that death passes over all of us. The Last Supper, when Jesus took the Last Supper, that was Passover. He was celebrating the Passover. And right after that, then he was arrested, crucified, and that Sunday morning, he was raised again from the dead. That is the traditional timing of Easter. Hundreds of years later in Christianity, somebody decided that they weren't going to set Easter based on Passover. They were going to set it by the lunar cycle. The moon. That's why Easter always changes. You know how sometimes Easter is real early and sometimes Easter is real late and stuff like that? And you think, why is that? It's because it's based on lunar cycles, which, you know, we're not going to change it. You know, it's not like I'm fighting to change that, but uh, that's why it moves around a lot. Even Christmas is, uh, you know, the timing of Christmas isn't exactly correct. I don't think there's any Bible scholar in the world that believes Jesus was born on December 25th. Uh, a lot of people believe it was probably more in the spring or summer. But we're not going to change that. You know, we're weird enough as it is. That's all we got to do is, you know, July 13th, Merry Christmas! You know, all these <laughs> think we're complete lunatics, you know, as it is already. So, some things you fight, some things, you know, it doesn't really matter. Who cares when we do Christmas? Who cares when we do Easter? It's not like there's a magic day. It's just these are times of expression of faith. That's what really matters. Okay? So, that was the whole idea. Doing this Lenten thing... To draw close to God, getting ready for Easter, which is coming up in a little over 40 days now. Now, what I love about the Lenten expression, and 
you know, everybody has their different take on it, and and uh, certainly my brother does as well, you know, about really knowing God and experiencing God more. But the part that I like the best about it is it is the one reflection in the year where we talk about the discipline of saying no to our carnal or physical nature. In other words, you learn to say no to this. This is why people traditionally during Lent will give something up or something. Are you earning your way to God? No, it's not about earning your way to God. It's a way of telling your body, shut up! Okay? And in fact, one of the disciplines we don't talk enough about, and that's on me, is there are Christian disciplines. And one of them that we hardly ever talk about is the discipline of fasting. Something Christians should be doing on a fairly regular basis. Fasting. That's You don't eat anything. That means like you go all day without eating. You would think fasting would go fast. But it goes very slowly. It's like, tick, tock, you know, it's nine o'clock, I'm dying, you know, and it's the morning still. But, you know, it's, it's, it's all day long. And the beauty of it, and the reason you should do it from time to time, and I should encourage some of you that during this Lent time, take some time, fast, skip a meal, it won't kill you. Some of you, you could, some of us, I should say, it would do us very well. Uh, to do several, take a day. Some people, I know people in the church here, has gone days of fasting where they just draw close to God. It's not about earning anything. It's really about a way of telling your body to shut up. One of the problems that we have as Christians, and one of the reasons why so many Christians, I'm not talking about people without God. Pagans are pagans. I don't know how they get up in the morning. I'm talking about Christians. Christians. One of the reasons so many of us struggle with sin and bitterness and anger and addictions and all the kind of stuff, Christians, is because we never have learned to say no to this. Everything we want, we get. Everything we could possibly got to have all day long is, I want this, and I want that, and I want this. If you don't learn to say no to this at times, it will destroy your life. And I do not exaggerate. I was just speaking to a bunch of young Christian college kids up in Canada a couple of days ago. And going on my shtick on, you know, why you should do the right thing and don't be having sex with your boyfriends and girlfriends and stuff. And they say, well, what do you do? Take cold showers. I don't care what you do. But you don't do that stuff. What do you mean? Well, it's, if you don't learn to say no at some point in your life, it'll control you the rest of your life. I said, do you know how many adults 15, 20 years after a marriage will meet some cute somebody and... Fall into an affair. You know how many thousands of Christians this week started affairs? People who claim to love God. It'll destroy their marriage. It'll wound their children. It'll end up being hell for them personally for the rest of their lives. But yet they go into it headstrong. Why? They've never learned to say no to this. Whatever this body wants, they've said yes to constantly. And I got to tell you, you don't hear a whole lot of the true gospel message of denying yourself. See, where do you get that from? By a person named Jesus, who we're supposed to be serving. Look where he says in Luke, the ninth chapter. He said this to them all, all y'all. Whoever wants to be my disciple. How many want to be Jesus' disciple? Would you like to be? Yes, a few of you out there. Yes, wonderful. Anybody who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Now, you don't hear this very often. If anything, turn on any Christian radio or television preacher 
And listen to them. It's all about God wants you to be happy. God wants you to get whatever you want, whenever you want. If you just send me $20 right now, I'll pray to God that you'll get your miracle in your life. You get to have whatever you want just because you're so cute. And God wants you to be as happy as you can possibly be. It's an ex- now, does God want to answer your prayer and bless you? Yes, but I'm telling you, this is an extreme nonsense that we've gotten into. I talked to a guy in California when I was in California. He's, Said I, I just I walked out of my wife and kids. I said, why'd you do that? Well, I just, I just don't want to be there anymore. He says, what do you think about that, Pastor? So I think you're an idiot. <laughs> I think you need to go back to your wife and kids. And he looked at me with stunned shock and horror. And he said this to me, I quote, But doesn't God want me to be happy? See, this is where we're at today. I looked at him and said, who told you God wants you to be happy? Where do you get this nonsense from? God wants you to be holy. Sometimes you're happy about it, sometimes you're not. When Peter was being crucified upside down, that was a bad day for him. Happy, this nonsense of God just wants you to be happy. and God wants you to have everything you have. We have created not only have we created, been turned into narcissists and are making even worse with our children when we give them everything they want from day, morning till night and create even bigger narcissists. The Christian church has joined in the narcissistic culture by preaching messages. God just wants you to have what you want when you want it. And we wonder why we have so many addictions in the church, affairs, people who can't get along. The list, I mean, there's a huge list of problems that we have because we've never learned the Christian discipline of saying no to this. If you're going to be Jesus' disciple, you've got to learn to say no to yourself. If you can't deny yourself, you'll never be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Lent is a great time to focus on what it means to be a disciple. Learn to say no. Teach your children to say no. Don't be giving them everything they want every five seconds. They will not die if they don't have an iPod in their ear for 20 seconds on the ride home. And watch them. If you don't give them the iPod or turn the radio on, it's like they're crack addicts, man. <laughs> my thoughts. I hear my thoughts. Ah! Ah! God forbid they have a coherent thought of their own. And we live in a culture that's all about us. And I get it. But at some point, if we're going to be true disciples, we've got to learn to say no to this. And life, everything about life is just easier and easier. And, and do you remember before microwave ovens? Do you remember what you had to do if you wanted hot water? You had to boil it. Wasn't that horrible? <laughs> how long does it take to boil water? Two minutes? Five, two to five minutes. Depends on how hot it is. You know? It's like an eternity. Then we finally got microwaves. Hallelujah. But now even microwaves seem too slow. Have you noticed this? I get a cup of hot water. I put it in there. Punch in 40 seconds. I'm like... 
You go up for fast food and you hear those dreaded words, please pull ahead. It's like, no! I gotta wait 40 seconds longer! I'm telling you, we live in a world, it's all about you. You're worth it. Madison Avenue, you're worth it. You can't just buy shampoo that cleans your hair. That's not enough. It's got to be sparkly sheeny. Costs ten times more, but you're worth it. It's not about me, 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 my, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. We have addictions, bad behavior, hard to live out our Christian faith. Because we haven't learned to say no to this. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now stop and think how weird that is when he says this. We get it because Jesus died on the cross. He hadn't died on the cross yet. They don't even know what he's talking about. The cross is an instrument of death. It would be like if Jesus came today and said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to grab your electric chair and follow me. (laughs) What? Grab your hangsman's loose. Come on, let's go. They thought he was weird. And Jesus said some really tough stuff. I'm putting together a message. One of these Sundays I want to do maybe during this Lent. I'll do a whole sermon on all the mean stuff Jesus said. Everybody thinks it's all grace. You know? Oh, no, he never said, you know, just, just believe. That's all we got to believe. Really? He was pretty tough. This is one of them. I like the one. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. You think I'm mean. I haven't told anybody to rip their eyeballs out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. It's a little strict, wouldn't you say? Well, if we preach that today, we'd all be walking around one-eyed guys with no hands. <laughs> he goes on to say, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever, his, whoever loses their life for me will save it. We need to learn to say no. This is going to be a great time of discipline. Get the book. It'll cost you $5. No! It's a great thing. My pastor Ed put it together. My pastor Ed, my brother Ed, your pastor. <laughs> um, uh, very simple. It's a daily devotional for the next 40 days. A scripture to read in the morning. One to read in the afternoon. A simple little paragraph to read in the evening at night. And then a little prayer. It takes like... Eight seconds to say the prayer. It's not like this is some heavy, horrible, self-beating thing. But it's a discipline where we'll say, you know, for the next 40 days, we're going to do this every day. Every day in my own personal life. Consider giving something up. Encourage your kids. Give up something for Lent. Why? I want everything. It's good for them. Not to have everything all the time. It's good for you not to have it. Take something you really like and say no for 40 days. It'll seem like you're dying. But it's a good thing to do. If you don't learn to say no to this, this will mess up your Christian experience. Because we become selfish. So we're beginning this Wednesday... And we're encouraging all of you to come. You know, here's a little no. I know you want to sit there and watch TV. 
say no to the TV for Wednesday night, shall we? Let's come to church and let's have our Ash Wednesday service. And then get involved in these home groups over the next 40 days, gathering together, getting to know some people. So I don't want to. You know how you should know you should do something almost all the time? Is if you don't want to do it. That's really it. I know that shocks people. Because they think, when I don't want to do it, that must be God telling me. God doesn't want me to do it. That's not God. That's your self-centered, narcissistic little flesh. I don't want to come to church Wednesday night. That's why you should come. I don't want to join a local group. That's why you should do it. I don't want to read this thing every day. That's why you should do it. For 40 days, just do something you don't want to do. It's called denying yourself. It's an important part of the Christian experience. And it's something we as evangelicals almost never talk about. And it's one of the reasons we are struggling in our faith experience. We need to get back to basics. We need to start doing the true gospel the right way. Now, this Wednesday night is going to be Ash Wednesday. This is when we reflect on the fact that we are mortal. We're all going to die. All of y'all are going to die. It's just a matter of when and how. In my case, I hope when is a long way off and how is very quick. That's my hope. But we all die. Okay? And we need to remind ourselves this isn't about us and we have a limited time on this earth. It's going to be a great service, listening to a message, singing together, and then we're going to have a ritual that we're going to do. Three stations. The first station will come and someone's going to pour water over your hands, washing your hands as a sign of repentance, of making yourself clean before God. Station number two, taking communion, reflecting on Jesus' ultimate sacrifice for us, dying on that cross for our sins. And then the final is someone's going to, the final thing, someone is going to take some ashes and put it on your hand, as some traditionally used to put it on their foreheads. You can do that if you want, but just put it on your hand. Why do you do that? It's just a reminder that we are temporary. We were made from dust, God said, and we all return to dust in the end. Now, there's been some concern about where the ashes come from. It's not like we went to the local funeral home (laughs) and said, by the way, have you got some extra ashes laying around? This isn't somebody's grandma in a jar, all right? It's just their palm leaves, usually taken from last year's Palm Sunday. So they'd burn them up and they make ashes and just... I say, well, is there anything uniquely holy in doing any of that? No, not at all. You can do things like that all day long, every day of your life, and still go to hell. If you don't know God in your heart. It's not about ritual, but it's not that we reject ritual. Some of these things are good to remind ourselves of repentance, of what Christ has done, and the fact that we are mortal. We are here for a short time. Let's make sure we make life count. So that will be our first step. On this journey of Lent. 40 days of reminding ourselves, deny ourselves, say no to this, or this will destroy your, this will dominate your life. 
Some of you it will destroy. Some of you who are struggling with addictions and everything else that you struggle in life and anger and all of different frustrations. If you, if you never learn to say no to this, it makes your Christian experience almost impossible. Let's focus on that. Let's have some discipline. And let's draw close to God. Let's make room for God in our lives over these next 40 days. And then celebrate it with a fabulous Easter as we reflect on the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus from the dead. I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward now and we're going to get ready to close with our communion service. Our musicians can come back up as well. All of this is made possible because of what Jesus did on the cross for us 2,000 years ago. Talk about the ultimate denying yourself. I mean, you know, Jesus did not want to go to the cross. Do you remember this part of the account? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's asking God, please let this cup pass from me if there's any way I can get out of this. He didn't want to do it. Nobody wants to do that kind of a thing. But yet he knew who he was. He knew what God had called him for. He knew why he came to this earth. To be the ultimate lamb, silent to the slaughter. He denied himself, gave up his life, took our punishment so that we could have forgiveness of sins. That's what we celebrate. And it's really interesting. The last thing Jesus did with his group of disciples is say to them, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The last thing Jesus told them was, don't forget what I'm doing here. Don't forget why I'm doing this. Why is that important? Because he knows us. We tend to forget everything except what we want at any given moment. This is the reason we constantly come back to this one celebration. This is what it's about. Without his sacrifice, you can go through all the rituals in the world you want, but if you don't really know God here, no ritual, no outside ceremony will make any difference in your life. Do you know God? Is my question to you today. Now we're going to get ready to pray a prayer. We always pray this this prayer of forgiveness before we... Uh, take communion as a way of just kind of cleansing ourselves and getting things right with God. If you've never really experienced God in your life, pray this prayer with us. Start taking your first steps of faith and you can start to experience God's grace in your life. Let's pray this together. Let's say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you loved me so much you went to the cross and you took my punishment. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. As I surrender myself to you. Amen.